Good morning. That was as sweet as could be right there. Ah, I love it. I'm excited to be with all of you today. Um, How many just genuinely sense that the Lord is up to something big right now? I just think that there is a setting on right now that God is doing. And my question to you today as, as we get into the word is how hungry are you? How hungry are you? <laughs> Praise God. Starving, she said. I don't mean to suggest to you in any way that I've got some of these things figured out. Frankly, I, I don't. I'm watching in awe and wonder at what God is doing and don't even really have words for it. But I do know that God meets the hungry, that he, he shows up and he meets those who are desperate for him. And I believe much of what we are seeing and beginning to experience is God coming to meet with people who are crying out, who are desperate, and who are fed up with dry, empty wells that the world is no longer able to satisfy them with. My prayer today is that we would continue to increase in hunger, in our appetite for God to do something big in our midst. In order to meet God in that place, for him to meet us in that place, I am convinced that we're going to have to let go of any of our preconceived thoughts and ideas of what it's supposed to look like or how he's supposed to show up or the boxes that it's supposed to fit in. But to just be ready to receive, to rejoice, to surrender, and to praise. I've been praising all week in a way like I don't know I have before. And seeing what God is doing and how he is pouring out his spirit upon a people in a little town, in a university of young people who are just saying, God, we are desperate for you. (laughs) Oh, I don't, you know, every pastor who is worth their salt yearns for a move like this, cries out to God to do something like This, because at the end of the day, we understand that it's Jesus that people need. (laughs) It is the Holy Spirit who is going to transform lives and transform hearts and renew and restore relationships and broken things in people's lives. We don't possess that power. We don't have that capability We are just messengers, just trying to pave the way, just trying to create a banquet table, an introduction, if you will, for some, and just a meeting place for others who've possibly been there before. Just say, God, show up and let me get out of the way and do what only you can do. Oh, we're in this series right now that it's, to me, so fitting Uh, We're calling it timeless truth. 
And we're calling it that because we're hoping, the burden, I suppose, is to help everyone just really see that the Word of God is our compass. It is our true north. And it never changes. It never has, and it never will. Even efforts to dismantle or deconstruct the Word of God which are very prevalent in our society and culture today, they'll they'll not succeed. It's been happening for centuries and centuries. The Bible says that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God, it will endure forever, stand forever. And so timeless truth is to help us as followers of Christ. That's I hope we all are, or that we're in a place where we're ready to, to open our heart to become one, that as followers of Christ, we understand that the Word of God supersedes everything, that whatever culture might try and tell us, or try to lead us into, or get us to believe, at the end of the day, culture is inferior to kingdom, and that we could recognize signs of our times things in our era that might be happening to come against the word of God, see it in our midst or even its attempts to threaten at our door, to lead us astray and say, that's not kingdom, that's culture and I won't go that way. We stand firm on the word of God. It is, it's the only thing that God and his word are the only thing that never change. All, all times and cultures and fads certainly do. And so we're getting into this message today. Uh, We've been going through the prophets, books of the prophets, because for about 400 years, between three and 400, many of the prophets that spoke to God's people, they had a, a common message. There were different things that were happening, and we'll look at a lot of those, but the common message was we need to get back to following God. You know, culturally, in our in our nation and among us, we need to abandon false ways, crooked ways, and we need to get back to following the Word of God. And if we do, there's incredible blessing that's promised. And if we don't, there are severe consequences that are coming. If I had to summarize the words of the prophets, that would be what it is, right? And, uh, and so people are, are faced with a decision. The Word of God, it, it, it edifies, it encourages, it strengthens, but it also confronts. And so when we're faced with truth, then it confronts sometimes, it reinforces things that we're doing right and well, and sometimes it confronts with things that are off in our lives, and we're faced with decisions on how we will embrace that and how we will adjust. And so today we're going to go into the book of Amos. And Amos was a prophet that came to the northern region of Israel in... uh, like 795 BC, whatever BC, he was speaking to the people before any of the incursions of their enemies. That's important to note. There had not been an Assyrian incursion in the north that took Israel captive and, and basically wrecked them. And then about 100 years after that, there was a Babylonian incursion in the south, the Judah region of, of the Holy Land. And they took the people of Judah captive. So Amos is prophesying before any of that. It's also important to note that the the time that they're in here is actually a time of of really great prosperity. 
they are thriving economically. Now, they're still divided in the sense now that there's a kingdom in the north and a kingdom to the south, and they're not united under 12 tribes, but they're at peace. They're not opposing each other yet. That hasn't even happened. So seemingly, I'm just trying to say this, seemingly things are really well economically. They look to material types of signs as maybe evidence that everything is okay. And what's happening is that spiritually they are in great decline. So last week we talked about Joel's message, and he came to the people when things were already a wreck, already a mess. Locusts had already ravaged the crops. They were decimated. Amos is coming. Think about this if you're Amos, right? He's coming at a time to warn people when they think everything is great. So we see just kind of different situations throughout these books of the prophets. And as I told you last week, There is always a contemporary application in the message that's happening, but there is often an eschatological application or there's a a direction being pointed to the end times and the return of Christ. So we see great evidence of things like that in the words of the prophets that will come to fulfillment. But in between, there are always applications of these things for us in our own life right now. There are patterns and principles that we can pull out. So let's meet Amos for just a second. Amos, he is a sheep herder, uh, a shepherd, and he's out in the desert. And from what we can tell, what, what I deduct from Scripture, he loves what he's doing. He likes what he's, his, his job. He likes his vocation. Things are really going well. He's a peaceful man. He's minding his own business on the backside of the desert, as happy as can be. God shows up and convicts him with a message that he wants to send him to the north in Israel to deliver. So God kind of disrupts Amos' convenience and Amos' plans that he has going on. So he heads up to the north and begins to deliver the message. The king in the north is Jeroboam II. The king in the south is Uzziah and Judah. That's the backdrop. Let's start now by reading Amos chapter 1. The first two verses. The word of Amos, who was among the sheep herders, sheep breeders of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake, and he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. So this is, the, this is the opening of his message to the people in the north, and he's saying the Lord roars in Zion. That's basically saying the Lord is getting your attention. The Lord is moving right now to speak in a very strong and authoritative way. So then what he goes on to do is he goes on to speak about, and again, to God's people in the north, about how God is going to bring judgment to the different nations that are the enemies of Israel that are around them that have been oppressing them, okay? And there's five or six of them here. I'm just going to jump over to verse 13 and read one of them. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of the people of Ammon, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Because they ripped open the women with child in Gilead, 
that they might enlarge their territory. But I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour its palaces amid shouting in the day of battle and a tempest in the day of the whirlwind. The king shall go into captivity, he and his princes together, says the Lord. So if you read all of chapter 1, you'll see that he's pronouncing very specific judgments on these different nations in response to very specific sins, okay? And there are different ones. And the one that I just read you about the people of Ammon is interesting to me because, and just again, think about present day, uh, but there is, there is this sin that they are guilty of for killing the innocent and the unborn. You're hearing me. Did you know that about 50 million babies have been aborted in our country since the 50s? Estimated at close to 1 million a year, though I'm happy to report that that's starting to decline greatly just in the last year or two because of many of the laws that are changing. But the point is, is that the, God is saying as a, as a people, they're guilty of, a, of an atrocious crime. And he says... For three and for four accounts. I'm just going to give you a little bit of some symbolism and teaching on this, but most scholars agree that there's implication there that three and four equals seven, which means complete, which means it's full. All right? There's a concept in Scripture you'll see. You see it in Genesis, you see it in Psalms, you see it in Revelation. It's called the cup of iniquity. So here's what the cup of iniquity means a, a person or a people can be sinning against God. And while they're sinning, it's like that cup is filling up. It's filling up with sin. And God is long-suffering and He is merciful. And so what He's giving His people time to do is repent and be forgiven of wayward ways. And essentially when that happens, you dump the cup out and God forgives you. It's a fresh start, which is glorious. But if repentance doesn't happen... The cup keeps filling, and then eventually it gets to the top where it's full, and then it overflows, and when that happens, that means the cup of iniquity is full, and at that point, the cup of God's wrath is poured out. So there's time until there's not time. What God is saying is that time has come. The judgment for the sins of these nations is happening, and they're not just, you know, there's the unborn, and then there are this is essentially, there are sins that are attacks against God's image in his people. There's genocide, there's massacres, things like that are happening, right? If you go all the way back to Genesis, God made a, a strong declaration in the Noahic or Noah's covenant, and he said there should never be blood taken, we should never kill, we should never degrade God's image because he created man in his image. It's a Latin phrase called imago Dei, image of God. So anytime God's image is desecrated, that is, that is a sin and that's violating how God has called us to live as people, right? And so if you think about a lot of things that happen in our day today, even when we begin to change the laws of marriage, and the laws of how families are designed to function, then we are crossing lines against the image of God, the way he's designed us to live and function together. It says a man was created to be with a woman. 
husband and wife, and those are two that procreate, not under different guidelines and under different types of constructs, right? And so when, when that's violated, it's, it's crossed, even if it's just in society, it's crossing the line against the image of God. I know if you pay attention to some of these things or read about some of these things, but there are concerning trends that are happening that I would say are violations of the Mago Dei, the image of God. You know, and you may know this, so just if you do, that's great, but there are women who believe that they want to become a man, and then whenever they want to become a man, they will take drugs and different hormones and different things that will help them begin to appear more like a man. They will grow facial hair. There's testosterone that they take. But here's what, where it gets really uh, strange is that those, a lot of times the women, they still have their ovaries. And so a woman who becomes a man can, can now have babies still because her ovaries are there. And then that woman marries... Uh, a man who wants to become a woman, and then they take different hormones or suppressants, and then they become more like a female, and then they can have procedures, surgery. And it was out of, uh, there's a whistleblower out of Washington University here locally, and this woman who was in charge of transgender cases at the university, so the initial intention was when, when people were struggling or young kids were having issues with this in the children's uh, area, they would bring these kids hoping to find help. And what she blew the whistle about, and it's got national news, you can check it out, I'm only repeating to you what's in the article, is that it's been discovered that they were giving these kids hormones or hormone suppressants without the knowledge of their parents. And thinking that they were helping them, many of these kids came saying uh, that they had ADHD, anxiety issues, eating disorders, uh, mental things, just stuff we see all the time. And the, the track they're taking them down is, you probably are confused about your gender. And then they're giving them these remedies to help them, supposedly, without the knowledge of their parents. And now where they're seeing is all of the harm that's being done. Because some of these young girls that have been given testosterone, I don't mean to get graphic with you, but I just want you to understand this. Their female parts have been swelling and changing and tearing and ripping. And basically what the article says is that they are mutilated after these things occur. Meanwhile, young boys are given suppressants and in the process of taking these suppressants, they're experiencing liver failure, toxicity, all these other kinds of things. But it's also a puberty blocker so that they don't turn into, just say it, who God's created them to be, right? And so I, I go through all these things to just say that when, when that's happening in a culture and in a society, God is only going to put up with that for so long. The cup is filling. Are you with me? And, and so God, Amos is he's calling these things out and he's letting people know this is happening all around us and we have got to wake up. We've got to see that this is not good, right? Romans says that in the latter, latter days that men will begin to invent new ways to sin. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing in a lot of these types of things today, 
right, is that that's happening. And then in this article, it also reported that there were five times the number of these cases now than just a couple of years ago. It's, it's literally an epidemic that's coming. And, and a lot of the whistleblowers are saying that much of what's happening in schools and in education is leading the way for these kids to go down this track because they begin to question, am I who I was born? Am I supposed to be somebody different? And I, this may make you a little bit uncomfortable. I hope it does. But this is happening <laughs> around us, right? And it's a wake-up call to God's people to say, look, this, this, we need to be aware of this. This is not okay. Um, I just want to also say, I know we have a lot of teachers and a lot of educators and administrators in here. Um, and it, for those of you who are opposing these kind of things in that, in that landscape, I commend you. I mean, I just commend you. I can get up here and say what I'm saying. People expect me to preach about truth, about morality, about what's right and wrong. I acknowledge your fight is, is different. Um, in fact, if you're here today, can we do this? I just feel like maybe the Lord is leading us to this. If you're a teacher, an educator, an administrator, anything at all, would you just raise your hand for a second? God bless you. God bless you. And I would just like to pray, if you are okay with this, I would like for us to pray for you to be strengthened right now. Father, in Jesus' name, you just stretch your hands towards those who raise their hand. Jesus' name, God, I pray that you would just strengthen and encourage them. I know that that can be a hard fight. I know it can be exhausting and wearisome. I pray that you just refresh their soul today, and I pray that wisdom and discernment would flow abundantly into their heart, God, that they would be able to navigate the complexities of our times in a way that stands for truth but also reflects your love, God, your unconditional love uh, in a world around us that needs to see that so badly as well. We thank you for all of them today in Jesus' name. Amen. So Amos is done with all of that. Now here's the thing. He talks about what God's getting ready to do in the nations around him. And at this point, the, the message is probably being received really well. The people that Amos is talking to, God's people, I mean, they're probably like, preach it, brother. You know, amen, amen, come on, right? Let the Lord, let's see the Lord move and do something. And then it takes a very interesting turn. In fact, let's go to chapter 2, verse 4. This says the Lord, for three transgressions against Judah and for four, uh-oh, uh-oh, he's talking about our brothers in the south now. Uh, where is he going with this one? I was cool when he was talking about the world and the nations. Now he's talking about within the family of God. Uh-oh. I will not turn away its punishment because they have despised the law of the Lord and have not kept his commandments. Their lies lead them astray, lies which their fathers followed. But I will send a fire upon Judah and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem. So he says, in Judah, my word has been uh, compromised. They've, they've changed some things around to suit their conveniences. Right? And he says, that's not okay. 
And then, and then he turns the next part, and he's, now it's, he's talking directly to the people where he's at in the north, in Israel. And he says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. This is human trafficking. They pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor, and pervert the way of the humble. And a man and his father go into the same girl to defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge and drink the wine of condemnation in the house of God. So he's basically saying they're, they're going about their business thinking that they're worshiping in spirit and in truth. And there's this glaring discrepancy. Immorality is within. This man goes in to lay with his... Same woman as his son. Like, this is perversion, right? This is sexual immorality. And so here's what's happening is Amos is very skillfully, under the divine inspiration of God, he's helping them see they're not okay with the sin around them. And once he's got them to see that, then he says, now what about the sin within? Now what about the sin within? And I think that there's a call to God's people, right? That yes, we, we, we have to acknowledge sinfulness in our world and error and waywardness but at the same time we have to look within too we have to examine where we are as a people right even in the church today let we look at maybe uh, human trafficking or some of these things that we consider to be such horrible sins but let's let's talk about even sexual immorality for a second within the church and the body of Christ you know we have we have taken God's laws and, and recreated some of our own. You know, there's a thing called common law marriage, which just su- suggests that if two people cohabitate long enough under, without being in a covenant of marriage, that it's okay, and, and the, the same kind of blessing would be on that relationship that's on the, a marriage relationship, which is just not true, right? And so we understand that the point of this is for God to say sin is sin. Sin is sin, and what God is saying is I'm calling my people to walk away from sinful ways because there's a call on God's people to be a light to the world. So there's extreme blessing and there's also extreme responsibility, right? To be light bearers to the world means that God's people will not tolerate or compromise around morality and things that God says are truth according to his word. And so Amos has kind of turned it this way, and, and we see it's God is no respecter of persons. Right. He's saying sin is sin. I don't fellowship with sin. Companionship with God is enjoyed so long as we don't uh, tolerate sinfulness to continue to permeate in our lives. And God's making that clear. He's saying, I, I'm calling I'm, everybody to repent to go away from things that are evil, to go away from things that are not my ways. He's, you know, Amos, I love this guy because he's, he's making a stand. He's, he's at the backside of the desert, minding his own business, and God says, get up and go to the north and tell the people, great job, <laughs> wonderful thing to get excited about. Go tell the people that if they don't change now, that, that they're destined for doom just like the nations around them are. And, and I, you know, Amos, he goes... And the priests and the king, once they start hearing this message from him, now they're upset. 
It says they tell him, stop prophesying. It says we don't want to hear any more of what you have to say. The land cannot bear his message. And so now all of a sudden, they're trying to silence him. They're telling him to leave, go away. We don't want you here anymore. And I love this. You know how Amos responds. He says, I've been called by God. He, he says, I, I wasn't, I'm no prophet. My parents weren't prophets. I was a sheep herder in the desert. And God called me to come deliver this message to you. He's saying, listen, I, I, I get that you don't necessarily like what I have to say. I was enjoying myself under the stars at night. I had a great gig going. But I am under divine authority now. And I'm bringing a message to you that God has given me to give to you. If you think you're going to stop me from preaching truth to you because you don't like it, I'm under divine authority, not man authority here. And I love it because he's, he's got resolve. We need more Amoses in the world. We need more Amoses. He's feeling the heat and the pressure, baby, of resistance, but he's standing strong. You know, I, 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 I wonder sometimes, and I ask this question to myself and others, is Amos is, he's on God's mission now. How many times as are we in our lives, are we on God's mission or are we maybe on our mission? Right? Because God's mission interrupted Amos's mission. It's not about your convenience anymore, Amos. It's not about comfort. I got a mission for you. And I know that as a, a people often, we, well, I want to be doing what God's called me to do. I want to be filled with his purposes for my life. But I wonder sometimes if the call to what God wants us to do is inconvenient to the point that we don't go on God's mission, we stay on our own mission. Am I making sense? So Amos stands strong against all of these things. And he says, our, God's people need to be a light. Um, they're experiencing prosperity. They've got a lot of, of economic wealth going on. And then Amos says, here's the deal. If this doesn't change. The stone houses you built, you're not going to live in them. The vineyards you've planted, you won't drink from their wine. He's basically saying, all this stuff that you've put stock in that you find security in it can it can go away just as quickly as it seems like it can and god's god wants to remind him i'm the source of your provision you know it it talks about in the book of zephaniah that when the people don't change their ways that god takes their pastures and their land away from unhealthy leaders and unhealthy shepherds and he gives it to healthy shepherds who honor him and then those pastures are green and he brings the flocks who are hungry into those places because God's going to distribute his resources in places where they're going to be used to honor him, not go against his ways. And so he's just warning him. He's like, if you think it's going to stay this way, it's not. You're not going to continue to experience this kind of prosperity if you don't turn and get back to walking in God's ways. And so let's jump over here to chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. Thus says the Lord, God, he showed me, behold, he formed locust swarms at the beginning of a late crop, and indeed it was the late crop after the king's mowings. And so it was when they had finished eating the grass of the land that I said, O Lord God, forgive, I pray, O that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, says the Lord. So there's a series of three visions. This was the first that God gives Amos, and the one was that he was going to destroy the crops with locusts, right? We already saw that happened in Joel. And Amos, interestingly, begins to pray for these people, these people who kind of hate him. 
who are saying, shut up, stop saying these things. Get out of our land. We don't want to hear your message. And God shows him a picture of what's going to happen, and he starts praying for them. He intercedes, stands in the gap. It sounds a lot like somebody I know. A guy who's a man, a, a God, our Jesus, who's always interceding for us before the throne. This is the heart of God. He's in the face of a wayward people who hate him, yet he is praying and interceding for them. You see that? And he goes down to the next vision. He says, And the Lord God showed me, behold, uh, it called for a conflict by fire, and it consumed the great deep and devoured the territory. And then I said, O Lord God, cease, I pray, O that Jacob may stand, for he is small. So the Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. So two things, the Lord says, this is judgment that's coming, and Amos prays for, it to be, for the people to be spared, and God says, okay, I'll, I'll spare them, I'll relent, which just reminds us, guys, that there is much accomplished in our prayer closets. Amen. There is much accomplished in the prayer room. In times of chaos, we can remain at peace and know that prayer is our weapon, and God responds to that. Third vision in seven, verse seven. Thus he showed me, behold, the Lord stood on a wall made with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. And then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not pass by them anymore. The high places of Isaac shall be desolate. And the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. I will rise with the sword against the house of Jeroboam. So I'm going to talk about a plumb line in a second. But the place that this has gotten to now is in the north here where Amos is speaking. You have Jeroboam who's king. You have a priest named Amaziah who's really not a priest. And then you have a temple in Bethel that's really not the temple. Because what they did is they set all of this up in the northern region so they didn't have to go into the southern region with their brothers in the south. And they said, we'll just worship here. We'll have the temple here. We'll, call our, we'll make our own priests here. And, and God says, none of this is true. It's a false priest. This is a false temple. This is false worship. And they're going around thinking that they're worshiping God. But God says, none of this, the, the presence of God is not here. So I'm just trying to tell you this. False churches will be set up. Places that claim to have a version of Christianity that deviates from what God's word rigidly calls us to adhere to. There are denominations that are under the threat of even splitting today because they're at odds about ministers to God's people, and it leads them astray. And Amos is making that stand. And in this third vision of the plumb line, God says, okay, I relented from the locust. I relented from the fire. Um, but this third one, he doesn't relent from. And he says, I'm dropping a plumb line down in my people. Oh, that paint's coming off there. Does anybody know what this is? It's a plumb line. I kind of gave it away, I guess. Right? So this is a plumb line. And it's perfectly balanced so that when the tip of the plumb bob 
touches the ground in only one spot, it stops it, just like that. So this is true. This is true. God says, that's my word. It's a plumb line. We don't get to set it. We don't get to establish it. We don't get to change it. He says, this is what I'm doing. I'm setting the plumb line down. And if we could, for just example's sake, let's say this is the right side of the word. Sorry for all of you. Let's say (laughs) this is the wrong side of the word. God says, I'm not crossing that. You get the picture? Folks, I'm not helping you if I don't tell you this. God is not going to fellowship with sin. He's not. You say, well, you know, if we, we want our relationships blessed, we want our finances blessed, we want our careers, our, all these things blessed, if we're not doing them God's ways, I'm just telling you, this is as basic as it gets. God's not going to bless it. You say, I'm, I'm not crossing that. I, my presence with my people happens when they're true to my ways. I'm not crossing that line. So God gives us his word to make it abundantly clear. And I know there are complex situations in our world today, but I'm just telling you, I think God's word is abundantly clear. (laughs) Sometimes here's what we do. Well, there are just a few things that I'm having a really hard time letting go of. Now, I... I empathize with somebody who's wrestling with the weight of sin and wanting to get free from that. Absolutely. My heart breaks. I've been there. I've struggled with many things in my early years as a young man. Pornography, lust, lots of things. There was a time where I didn't even think it was wrong. And then I became convicted about it, and I wanted to get free of it, and I still struggled with it. And when people are in that place, I really, really empathize with you, and I'm just telling you, there's freedom that can be found. But here's what sometimes we do. Well, I just want to include some, some of this. And then we try to change the plumb line. <laughs> we, you guys are in now. <laughs> we do this personally. We do it as a society, as a culture. Well, we don't want to hurt their feelings, you know. We don't, we don't really want to make them feel like, you know, it's, there's a lot of pressure there. Did you notice that? There's a lot of pressure against people who want to stand for truth. You think that's a surprise? The enemy is out to stop the advancement of the kingdom of God. Things that were considered in years ago, like, oh, it's like people, they knew they were wrong, but if they did them, they, they still knew they were wrong. Now it's like it's mainstream culture, and it's celebrated. Amos says to the people, God says, they don't even know how to do right anymore. He says they don't even know how to do right. They've been caught up in their sin so long, they can't even discern truth. And, and what they're doing now, they don't even they don't even look at it as wrong, and they don't even know how to get out of it. But God says, no, this is, this is never going to change. So you got to decide if you're going to live for my ways. Now, here's the beautiful part. When we're over here, and let's just be honest, we, we sin all the time. 
We get angry, scream and yell and cuss on the road, whatever. We, I mean, you know, we, get, we sin all the time, guys. But here's the thing. We can stay here. We can try to justify it. Or we can just accept that this is really what this message is all about. This is the bloodline of Jesus. I'm going to come over to grace. But that happens by way of repentance. Does that make sense? I've sinned. I'm not going to justify it. I'm not going to pretend like it didn't happen. I'm not going to hide it. I am sorrowful because I've erred against God. Would you forgive me, Lord? Oh, oh, how wonderful is your grace and your forgiveness. And God will continue to restore us to this place. That's really what he's trying to say. That's really what he's trying to do. He, he's not all fired up and excited to pour out the cup of wrath. He's just trying to say, there's time until there's not time. And I'm asking you to repent, to see the waywardness of your ways and come back and be the people that I've created you and called you to be. A people who walk with and fellowship with me and my goodness and my grace is so flowing into your life. Life, that you are a light to the nations in the world around you because the blessing of God marks a man or woman in a way that is undeniable to a lost and dying world. <laughs> but we find that, guys, through repentance and forgiveness. Does that make sense? Well, look at what's wrong in the world. Preach it, brother. Okay, let's talk about ourselves. Ooh. But the reality is we all need this message. We all need to understand that we go off and waywardness and God, his son, is there to offer grace and forgiveness and restore us, John says, into a place of righteousness. Oh, how I need it so much. And oh, how I am so thankful that it is there. But when the word begins to be spoken and it comes to us, if we reject it, then we set ourselves on a course for consequence. So listen to this. this is, let's jump down to chapter uh, 8, verses 11 and 12. The Lord gives this. This is a kind of like a final warning. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Oh, Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, come. He's saying, God is telling them, I'm going to bring a famine of the word of God. And so what does that mean? The word's always there. It's always available. And that's true. But when truth is rejected, then we become numb to hearing revelation. We're people meant to live by revelation. What God is saying is that if you won't get right with the, my ways and the things I'm saying, I'm going to cut off revelation. 
I'm going to cut off. People come and say, God, help me with this and help me with that. And God's saying, you haven't done anything with what I've already spoken to you. <laughs> I'm, I'm still back here. I'm, give me something new. Talk to me about this, God. Let's get right what I've already said. He says, I'm going I'm to cut off revelation, the word of God. There's going to be a famine of the word. And folks, there is no worse kind of famine, bread, water. You take those things away. But I'm telling you, this is the source of prosperity in a society and in the lives of God's people right here. I tremble at the thought that God would pull back revelation and truth teaching and knowledge of his way in our day it would be the greatest consequence that i can imagine because we live by revelation and he says this in chapter four listen to this verses seven and eight he says i i will with i've withheld rain from you when there were still three months to the harvest i made it rain on one city i withheld rain from another city one part was rained upon and where it did not rain the part withered So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Ah, here's what he's saying. It's raining in some places. God's Spirit is being poured out in some places. There are areas that are hungry. There are areas that are preaching truth. There are areas that are correcting their waywardness and getting right with me. And those are places where I'm pouring out rain. But it's not raining everywhere. And people who are hungry and desperate, they're going and they're traveling to find places where there's rain. Where there's not rain, everything is withering. Where there is rain, it's abundant. But even people who are rejecting truth and God's word and not getting right with him are coming to cities where it's raining and they're not even being satisfied anymore. Because they can't even hear truth. They've been cut off from revelation. Until they get right with God for what he's already convicting and compelling them to do. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of conviction. He's our guide. He is our instructor. He is our comforter. But God, he is also the convictor of sin. And I know, I think I said this last week, but you hear so much about people quenching the spirit. And that is often referred to as people who are not letting the Holy Spirit move, you know, in a corporate environment. I I do think that there's an application to that. But I, I think the most common way that we quench the Holy Spirit is when we silence the voice of conviction. Pretend it didn't I didn't hear that. I'm gonna keep on going, right? And all of this, guys, it's 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 for our good. You understand that God, He He means no harm to anyone. He has nothing but good things planned. So even in the judgments, even in the the consequences that men suffer from waywardness, while there's time, those things are actually good because they're designed to bring people back to God. They're designed to point them back in God's direction. You know, it says in the scripture that there comes a point when somebody refuses To repent, they refuse to get right with God's ways and they'll continue to walk in sin. It says there comes a point where we are to turn them over to the destruction of their flesh and to Satan. Listen, this is is powerful. So that even if their flesh gets destroyed, 
their soul could still be saved. It says we're, if they refuse to come out of the addiction, refuse to come out of the sin, refuse to come out of it, then ultimately the consequences are going to be so great that the physical body that's temporal is going to suffer destruction, but in the end it's designed to still bring them back to God while there's time so that they could repent and their soul could be saved. Oh, he says, I'm, I'm looking for a people who will honor the plumb line of my word. Last thing I will say, this is in chapter 4, verse, uh, where is it at? Verse 2. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, behold, the days shall come upon you when he will take you away with fish hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through broken walls each one straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into Harmon, says the Lord. Another translation says that you will be led out through the breaches. What's that all about? The breaches. Breaches in walls. So breach is a breakdown. Crack has been exposed. Something has been opened, and something can now get in. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, the very things that you're refusing to change, the very things that I'm calling you to get right on, if you don't, those are the very things that you're going to be let out in. Those holes and those cracks that they've opened up in the walls of God's security. And what's amazing to me is that Isaiah speaks about those who will honor God's word. You know what he calls them? Repairers of the breach. The walls have been breached, guys. The walls have been breached. And, and if, if God's people won't shore those up, <laughs> get right, and make sure that we are honoring his word and that God's spirit and his presence would continue to abide with us and be poured out over us. He's saying, I'm looking for people who will be repairers of the breaches, which means people who in our own lives will honor and stay true to the word of God, that this is our plumb line. We don't have the luxury of writing it ourselves. God doesn't give us that. It's been established. But if we'll stay true to it, you can't even begin to imagine, nor can I, the fullness of the blessing and the goodness that God wants to pour out to us. I, like many of you, have been paying a lot of attention to what's happening right now in Asbury, Kentucky, with these young people. Now, hear me, please. I have no ability to say to you, this is why, and this is what's going on, and here's the formula. Not at all. I'm just in awe. But I've been watching closely, and I've been listening to people who are there who are credible voices. And the consistent thing that you hear and that you see is that these young people and the people who are traveling 
are breaking under a spirit of conviction and they're repenting. They're repenting. They're coming home. They're getting right with God. It's like he's, he's holy so much in the room that they can't even stand in the presence of God and continue to carry their sin anymore. They're coming down and they're breaking at the altar. And I just think at this point, I would ask you to listen to whatever the Lord is saying to you right now. Holy Spirit, speak. Full permission, O oh God, in our lives. Help us to see anything you want us to see. We know the world is lost and dying. God, would you help us to see inwardly right now how we can be the light of the world for you? Can I get it? Okay. Hmm. Father, in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. Lord, come. This is just going to be an invitation today for any and all. If you feel in your heart right now there's something that you need to get right with God. I appeal to you. Don't try to move the plumb line. Don't try to dig in your heels. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Purify us, God. Purge iniquity out of us, O oh Lord. Refine us in the fire of the Holy Ghost today. Oh, yes, Lord. Let's, may we be so in touch and enveloped in your presence, God, that we couldn't even, we couldn't even stand and stay with our sin. Convict us, O oh Lord. For your glory. Hallelujah. Jesus, the Son of God, came to the earth. He suffered and died so that our sin could be forgiven. There's nothing you can do to wash it away in your own strength. The blood of Jesus is available. The grace of God is fully capable. Hear me. Fully capable of cleansing you and washing you of any sin. And the Spirit of God is there to empower you and to strengthen you to reign over sin in your body and in the flesh. Maybe people would say, I, okay, I want to stop doing this thing, but I'm just, I'm just worried I'm going to go right back to it. Let me tell you something. The grace of God 
that makes you clean is the grace of God that will empower you to overcome sin. Hallelujah. So if you're here today and there's anything at all, you just say, I, I just want to lay it at God's feet. I want to get right with God. I want to get on the right side of the plumb line. I'm going to have our team come back up here. We're just going to worship for a little while before we go. But the invitation is this, to just come down here to the altar. I'm not going to have our prayer partners here to minister. If you need ministry, our prayer partners, some of them will be over in the prayer room, and, and we're here for that too. But today, we're just going to open this altar up and say, so if you could kind of keep the aisles open and stuff, that would be great. Come and go as you, as you choose, as you need to. But if you just say, I need, I need to get right with God, it starts there. It starts there. So the invitation is open now. Anybody that says, yep, I want the full presence of God in my life. I want the full blessing of God. And I want to lay anything down that is in my life that's not of Him. Hallelujah. Come as you will. Father, in Jesus' name.